Well, hey, welcome back. Good to have you here. Matt Garner with you. And uh, we're just talking church. We're talking life. We're talking um, a whole lot about Jesus. And so I'm glad you're with us today. Pray that this is going to be a blessing to you. And I pray that it's going to help you um, because like I said in our last episode, which if you haven't listened to it, is an important one because it sets the, this next, these next few episodes up um, as a teaching. Um, it'll just be there, so you can click that and, um, and, and have a listen to that. Um, but like I said in the last episode, I believe God's doing something profound in the earth at the moment. I believe that we as the church are in the midst of a, a big transformation and a big change. And I believe that God is wanting to do more than we've ever asked, dreamt, thought or imagined before. And he can do it. And just because the world's changing, just because our old ways of relating to him and also reaching the world are becoming less effective in this day and age. It does not mean that God does not have a new thing and a new way, a new but ancient way that God wants to move and use us and do something powerful. And so this teaching is really around, um, around it, and it's, it's probably more than a teaching. I'm not really a teaching type of person necessarily compared to a whole lot of other people I know, um, but it is a challenge. It's a, it's a prophetic challenge to people to realize that God's doing something new and it's an encouragement to shift with him in that new thing. And so um, our last episode, we spoke about the new wineskin and we spoke about how um, often we're asking God to rebuild what he actually wants to reinvent in order so that he can restore and how we get stuck on the how. We get stuck on the how, the why and the what God wants to do doesn't change. He wants to restore us. He wants to heal us. He wants to save us. He wants to be in relationship with us and with those that don't know him yet. But the how we get stuck because we're creatures of comfort. We love to control. We love to, um, we, we, we find it difficult to shift and change. And so we just stay the same and we stay, stay relating to God in the same way. And it's a challenge that God's doing something new. There's a new wine skin that he wants to put new wine in. And it was a challenge to say, Lord, we want that to be us. We're open and we want to lean into you today. And so what I want to do now is I want to unpack a few ideas of what I see and what I feel in my heart. Um, around what it looks like to be a participator in this new wineskin. What does it mean for you? If you're a leader, what does it mean for you? If you're a church pastor or in ministry of some sort, what does it mean for you? If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, what does it mean for you? And so today I want to talk to you around um, a new vision of servant leadership, a new vision of servant leadership. Let's read this one scripture and um, we'll use this as our anchor text today. It's found in Luke chapter 22 and verse 25. And it simply says this, Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. Yet they are called friends of the people. 
but among you, it will be different. It's called to be different. It is called, you and I are called in the context of leading people, remember, kings and lords over the people. It's, we're called to do it in a different way. It's countercultural. doesn't make sense. The world are doing it in a CEO type of way, in a narcissistic type of way, in a... Um, in a, in a business management type of way, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're called to do it the same way. But among you that will be different, those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. The leader should be like a servant. This new wineskin is an invitation to a new vision of what it means to be a servant leader. I've told you that's the title, but I also want to tell you I've got two titles to, to this little teaching slab today. And the other title is a shoebox revival. A shoebox revival. I want you to remember that. A shoebox re revival. See, the idea of servant leadership isn't something that's new, but I often wonder if we have people serving the wrong thing or the wrong person. Well, you, you can go everywhere. You can go into the corporate world. There's so many. You can stroll the aisles of your um, local bookshop. You can jump on Amazon, Kindle, Audible, uh, Book Depository, all those sorts of things. And you can Google servant leadership and a lot will come up and some really great material from Christian authors will come up. Some great material from, uh, I suppose, secular businesses, business um, entrepreneurs and leaders will also come up. Servant leadership isn't a bad idea, isn't something that we need to throw out just because the world are doing it. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am saying is, is that we need to make sure that it has the right spirit and it comes from the place that Jesus was talking about. It's not new, but as I just said a moment ago, I do wonder if sometimes we've got it mixed up. And I wonder if we've got people, if as a Christian pastor, I've got people serving and committed to serving the wrong things or the wrong person. In a world that's committed to followers, in a world that's committed to likes, in a world that's committed to fame, we must radically resist the urge to become like the world. We must pursue, we must uh, be pursuing, sorry, we're, we're, we're often pursuing more followers, but we must be become people that are not pursuing more followers, but are pursuing becoming a better follower of Jesus. A better follower of Jesus. You know, the truth is, and this is gonna this is gonna come across quite heavy, but I believe that our version of servant leadership, our version of the church is too close to the world. We've sacrificed power on the altar of being contemporary. And so you, you, there's nothing wrong with being contemporary, but when contemporary becomes the prerequisite for what is good or what is not good or what is powerful or what is not powerful, we've missed it. And we know that we're caught in that trap where we judge our style of worship or our style of preaching or our style of 
church or our style of community versus someone else's. But in this world that's about fame and about big and about these sorts of things, I really believe that we must radically resist the urge to be famous. You might be thinking, Matt's a bit rich from someone that's on YouTube and is um, saying subscribe and like and do all those sorts of things. And sure, there's truth in that. There's, there's truth in that and that's attention for sure. And this isn't a message hating on celebrity pastors, by the way, because um, I don't think anyone gets in the ministry to be a celebrity pastor. That's never their motive. I think we've participated in a world system for so long that unfortunately that's what happens. When success happens, when miracles happen, when God's power moves, Unfortunately, the world are always trying to put man on the throne. The world are always trying to attribute a deep transformation or miraculous moments to man. Can I let me just reach for my Bible and let me um, let me quickly read to you what happens in Acts chapter three. Just bear with me for a moment. Acts chapter three. And you probably know this story. It's Peter and John going to pray. And they, the Bible says that they went up together to the temple to the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man from his mother's womb was a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask for alms from for those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him, with John, Peter said, "Look at us." So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I'm reading, I want you to hear the story, but I want you to um, get my point. So I'm reading quickly. And he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaping stood up, walked, and entered the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew it was he who sat begging arms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now check this out. This is what, what I want you to see. Acts 3 verse 11. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. Did you see that? They ran, the, the, the lame man held on to Peter and John, held on to man, held on to Peter and John. And all the people ran to where? To them. They ran to man because that's what man does. That's what the flesh does when supernatural things start to happen. And this is what I want you to hear today. Listen to the heart of these truly apostolic servant leaders. They're painting the vision and the picture. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? In other words, this is just the norm. This is supernaturally normal living. This is what happens when you believe in Jesus of Nazareth. Of Nazareth. Why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently 
at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk. And then uh, Peter goes on and preaches a powerful gospel message, calling them to repent, calling them to repent. And that is just so powerful. Repent. Therefore, and be converted, verse number 19, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Why look at us? I think it's the NIV translation that says, stop staring. And I believe that's the spirit. That's the attitude that we need to have as servant leaders. That is the attitude that the church needs to have. Stop staring at us. Stop looking at us is as if by some godliness or some power that we possess, we have performed this thing. This good thing has happened. No friend, we must radically refuse the fame that the world try to heap on the church. We must radically, can I, can, because that's what a worldly spirit does. That's what immature believers do. Immature believers try to say, pastor, it's all you. Man, you pioneered this. Man, you did that. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I'm not saying we should go around um, and it's okay to receive compliments and all those sorts of things in a healthy type of way. I'm not trying to be unbalanced and uh, immature about that. But I'm trying to help you to see that we have an obligation to tell people to stop staring at us. Stop staring at the person up the front with the microphone and stare at Jesus. Stare at the Alpha and Omega. Stare at the author and the finisher of your faith. Stare at the one that bled and died for your sins upon the cross. Stare at the one. Don't stare at the one that can um, craft a nice message and wear the latest shoes and get on preacher sneakers, hashtag, and all those sorts of things. Stare at the one that trampled sin, death, and the grave. Stare at at the one that has fire in his eyes. Stare at the one that is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Stare at the one, as the apostle said to the church at Philipp in Philippians, in Philippi, stare at the one that has the name that is above all names, the name above the earth, on the earth and under the earth. Stare at him. Don't st stop staring at us and stare at Jesus. And I think this is so important. The church has become too close to the world. We must become more like Jesus than the world. We must refuse the fame. We must humble ourselves before God and we must refuse to be, to be put on a pedestal. It's very, very countercultural, especially in this day and age where we're trying to grow YouTube followers and Facebook this and attendance and uh, all those sorts of things. And part of that is because our true value as Christian leaders is often anchored in what the world has deemed as valuable and successful. But I really believe that we've got to untether from the world We've got to untether from worldly thinking. And the only way we do that is through 
prayer and deep transformation. The only way we do that, friend, is by opening our Bibles every single day and allowing the text, allowing the power of God's word like a sword to change us from the inside out. The only way we do that is through deep, intentional uh, discipleship relationships within our Christian communities. The only way we do that is through accountability and transparency. The only way we do that is through being devoted and committed people of prayer. We've become more like the world than the church and we must become more like Jesus than the world. The only way we're going to get a revelation to be this new wineskin is when we're more committed to being like the like Jesus than we are like the world. I think at times, to be to be often to be honest, we've um, like the Western Pentecostal Church especially has we we develop these phrases and sayings, and they start out out of this good place, and we use them from the Bible and we preach them in that way, but. We've, they give us a window into motive at time. We, we, they give us a window into the heart and are truly what we value. And so we say things like, like serve another man's vision and God will release you into your own. And I'm not sure I agree with that statement. I'm not saying God doesn't, um, that we're not to serve other people. Of course we are. But We've used those sayings as control mechanisms. We've used some of those phrases as things that really communicate our worldly way of thinking. And I've heard that from hundred. Oh man, let me repent right now because I've said it myself. And we've adopted these things which are loosely scriptural. But at the end of the day, to be honest with you, we don't serve another man's vision so that we can be released into our own. Like, can you hear the motive in that? Can you hear what we're trying to teach people? If you do this, then that will happen to you. That's called manipulation. Truly, what needs to happen is we need to get so transformed by the work of the good news of Jesus, by, the, by yielding to Holy Spirit on a daily basis, that we have a desire to serve despite the outcome. We're not serving so that we can get released into our own. We realize that servanthood is being released into what God wants for our life. We say things like build God's house and he'll build yours. Except the whole point that God's house is not made of bricks and mortar. God's house is not a Sunday service, and I love Sunday services. We have an emphasis in our local church on gathering in Sunday services. Do it. Be at your local church, wherever that might be. But building God's house so he'll build yours makes it this materialistic thing. But the house that God's building is not one made of man's hands. It's a many-membered body. It's the body of Jesus. It's you and it's me. And so our desire to serve, like according to Luke, is to serve others, is to serve people. Let me be really strong and let me be clear in with a smile on my face. But we do not serve man and we do not serve buildings. 
We serve Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the one that you and I are called to serve. He is the one that we are going to serve. Now, I'm not saying we don't serve God through other, through, um, through serving man. Of course, most of the service that we do is towards helping others, is to empowering and to equipping others. Sometimes it involves really practically helping and serving what might seem like a physical house and making things happen. Absolutely, I'm all for that. But I want to be very clear as we're talking about this new vision of servant leadership, it must orientate around Jesus. Must orientate around Jesus. See, I reckon that I reckon we, in our Western way of thinking, we've we've um, we've got. Uh, how do I say this? We've we're we're enamored. We're intoxicated with the idea of vision. So we come up with a new vision, a new word, a new this, a new that on a regular basis. We need a new vision. And then we're going to serve the vision. But really what we need to acknowledge and we need to see that as the image of God, we're actually called to participate in the mission of God. And what we want to serve and what we want to be participating in is God's mission for the earth. It doesn't need a new vision. It doesn't need a new word. It doesn't need a new this. It doesn't need a new that. None of those things are wrong. But let's be clear. We serve God. And I believe that this this new wineskin, leaders are going to start inviting you into serving and participating in the mission of God for your life. This servant leadership, this invitation to being a part of this new wineskin version of servant leadership is about God, you engaging with God and his mission for the earth. See, true Ephesians 4 leadership, the fivefold, it exists to serve others. That's what it's there for. It's, uh, it, it exists to empower. It, ex- it, it exists to lift, to to empower to equip and to release people to a higher place than themselves. True apostolic leadership is leadership. A true fivefold Ephesians 4 leadership is leadership that, that, that gets as low as it can to lift as many up as possible. True Ephesians 4 leadership is not trying to be on the platform all the time. They're not trying to um, be the most famous one in the church. They're not trying to be those, they're not, that, that's all worldly way of thinking. What true Ephesians 4 leadership is trying to do is trying to push up others, is trying to release other other ministers of the gospel, is trying to um, empower and equip these people and lift these other higher, 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 higher. Bless others, empower them, release them. See, I think part of our issue is, and I'm not questioning anyone's motive here today. That's not for me to question. I can only question my own motive. But what I am inviting us to think about today is probably summed up in a statement or a question I'll say it as a statement and then you can think about it. 
And the statement is this. I believe that man has become the focal point of the church. And we need to repent and we need to change that. Man has become the focal point of the church. What we really need is we need a shoebox revival. Hundred years ago now, there was an African-American man in downtown LA that had a small church that was committed to prayer that were open to what the Holy Spirit wanted to do. And his name was William Seymour. William Seymour will go down in history as, um, has gone down in history, I should say, as being responsible for the, for the birthing of the Pentecostal church. The Pentecostal church that I'm a part of would look back down its timeline and it would lead to a revival that broke out in his little old church on Azusa Street in LA, um, in, in the States. Um, as we look back on that, as we reflect on it, as we read their record books, we see that God moved powerfully in these meetings, bringing about a phenomenal transformation to the church. This African-American man in a world that was full of racism and segregation and all those sorts of things, set himself to begin to pray. He already um, just due to the color of his skin, had a upward battle around it becoming, I suppose, a part of the church's liturgy and expression of worship and being widely, widely accepted by the church. But when God's moving, what God decides to do, no man can stop. And so uh, we need a shoebox revival. The Azusa Street Revival, it records, Google it, it's phenomenal. So many amazing and powerful moments where the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. William Seymour, he was blind in one eye, so he had a patch over his eye and he would get up and he would minister at times. But the story I read the other day about him took my breath away and it helped paint the picture of this shoebox revival that we need, this revival of servant leadership, this thought that Jesus must become the focus of the church again. And in order for that to happen, man must radically refuse glory, praise, fame. And we must hide ourselves and we must resist the urge to be worldly so that Jesus can get all the glory. It was often reported about the Azusa Street Revival. People would say, where is William Seymour? Where is William Seymour? And the story that I read essentially said that whenever the Holy Spirit started moving, I mean, God's power would move. People would be out on the floor, baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, repenting of their sins. Miracles were happening. Crazy signs and wonders were happening. And people would ask, where is William Seymour? Well, William Seymour in that poor town, poor time, and they didn't have a lot of money. And so what he did is he got three shoe boxes. We should call them shoe crates because they weren't just individual shoe boxes, but these three shoe crates that shoes were shipped in. 
and they were stacked on top of each other and he made that into the pulpit in which he would preach. And he would stand behind that pulpit and he would deliver God's word. But at the very moment that the Holy Spirit started doing things in the service, William Seymour would hide in the shoebox to pray. Where is William Seymour? William Seymour is in the shoebox praying. When he was asked, why, where were you? I mean, why are you in that shoebox? Obviously, we know that you're praying. Why? Because he had seen that revivals had stopped because man got glory. Because when people see things like they did with Peter and John, they try to hold on to Peter and John. They try to hold on to William Seymour to give him credit. So William said, I don't want any of the credit. I don't want the focus. I want to get into the shoebox. And I want people to know that this is only the work of Jesus. And it's my prayer for your life. It's my prayer for the church, the body of Christ, that we would have a shoebox revival. Ministers, it starts with you, that you would hide yourself, that you would radically refuse what the world has to offer through fame and through followers, and you would give all the glory to God. A shoebox revival. Are you prepared for that to get away and to ask the Lord to move, 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 and I'll get out of the way. Hey, God bless you. Look out for the next episode and we'll talk to you soon.